0: Take your Bibles tonight, if you would, and go with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. I want to address an issue tonight from the Word of God, give you some biblical perspective on an issue that I think is prevalent in our culture and sadly is becoming prevalent in our churches. Uh, the, The title of the message tonight might seem strange, but here's what it is, Christians... And cancel culture. Christians and cancel culture. Uh, I want to read a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 17. We're also going to be in some other scriptures tonight. And I want to just try to give a biblical perspective to something that I believe <clears throat> is a problem. Because the generation that, that is living today, and I'm not just saying you know the younger generation. I'm saying all of us. Uh, As a whole, I'm not sure what we know, uh, though certain individuals, and hopefully this doesn't represent this group, but but most of the people on earth today don't necessarily know how to respond to wickedness and evil and error. And there is a biblical answer to that. And so I want to read Acts chapter 17, and uh, you can stand with me if you're there, we'll read... Verse number 10, verses 10 through 12, a familiar passage of scripture, and you might wonder how does this factor into some of the things we're going to be talking about tonight. Just bear with me on this, and I think you'll understand. Acts 17, verse number 10, it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These, these Berean Jews, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that... They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. We'll get to our passage here in just a moment. When I talk about cancel culture, I think most of us probably are familiar with the concept. It's something that we've seen uh, really taking place over the last, I don't know, seven or eight years in our nation, probably more than ever before. A lot of it started with the the movement that's often dubbed the Me Too movement, if you remember that several years ago, uh, as as many uh, ladies in particular, and even some men, came out. Uh, and, and revealed that they had been mistreated in different ways and it became uh, kind of this, this uh, movement, if you will, to say, uh, hey, you have a voice and if you have been abused in some way, you ought to speak up about that. Now, I don't have a problem uh, with that in and of itself. I believe that those who have been legitimately abused ought to have a voice and, and they ought to be listened to. We need to listen. When someone says, I've been mistreated, We should take that seriously. I'm thankful that I can go to my Heavenly Father and He listens to me and He hears me and He cares about my needs and my burdens and my hurts. And I think as Christians we ought to do the same. We ought to be willing to listen and to hear people. So I'm not against that uh, concept as a whole, but that movement quickly morphed into let's use accusations as a way to silence people that we don't agree with or that we don't appreciate. And then, time went on and it became something where, hey, we're going to cancel anyone who disagrees with us politically, if someone is perceived to not be uh, maybe on board with Uh, with certain uh, movements of the day, if if maybe there are some racist tendencies in a certain individual, or or maybe they're not real welcoming of certain people groups or that kind of thing, uh, we are going to cancel them. We're going to shut them down. We're going to take them uh, off of the air, off of TV and radio. We're going to uh, smear their name uh, so that they'll never uh, be able to... We'll ruin their reputation. We'll try to... uh, uh, even hinder them financially. This became a, a, a pretty big issue. And a lot of that started politically on the left, but it's moved over to the right as well. And we're seeing a lot of that happening with, for instance, uh, you know, certain companies and things of that nature that have, have sided politically against where many of us would believe that biblically we ought to stand. And we say, not only, uh, many many people have said, not only am I not willing to give my money to them, uh, and be involved in that, but I want to try to help in the process of shutting them down. It's this cancel culture idea. If If I disagree with someone or there has been some wrong done, they therefore are now on the blacklist. Now this particular movement really comes from a worldview that is very black and white. And it sees people in a very simple way, either good or evil. Now, there are some problems with that because, first of all, if we really want to judge things by black and white, from a biblical perspective, we understand that all of us end up in that black category, right? Uh, There's not anyone who is righteous before God. We are all sinners. So there's no one who is totally flawless, So we try to judge then based on kind of human perception and good and bad comparatively. But what's the problem with that? Well, there are otherwise good people who make mistakes and have sin, and there are issues and problems, and there are otherwise bad people who also do good things, right? Uh, The world is not as Uh, as cut and dried as maybe we thought it was when we were five years old, right? We looked at, at life at five years old, we saw people as the good guys and the bad guys, right? But how many of you have learned that life doesn't really work that way? And that in between the good guys and the bad guys, there are a whole bunch of us who maybe try to do good and try to be right, but we have our flaws too, don't we? And so really to approach other people or organizations in that way and say, well, because of this one area of disagreement or this one area of flaw, that person is no, they, they no longer have a voice, they can't speak anymore, they, they, they need to, uh, you know, we can never trust them again, that's probably not the right approach in many cases. Now, why would I talk about this in church? Well, because the Bible needs to influence our worldview. But also, I want you to understand that this is something that has crept out of our culture, also into our churches. And there is an entire movement that is taking place today. Maybe you're you're familiar with it. A movement of young, primarily young Christians, although there are some older ones involved in it as well. That are leaving Bible believing churches and going and, and either leaving church altogether or going to some doctrinally unstable, watered down type of church. And their reason is that, and I'm just going to throw some things out there. They, I, I'm not trying to categorize all of them this way, but their idea, maybe a lot of them, is this all Baptists are this way. All fundamentalists are this way. And what are they doing? A lot of times they are pointing to what they see as injustices that have taken place in churches and among Christians who name the name of Christ. And I will tell you this, that many of their grievances are absolutely legitimate. There has been, in churches, and I'm talking about Churches that claim to be Bible-believing Baptist churches. There have been many documented cases of doctrinal shallowness, dictatorial leadership, abuse, scandals, and cover-ups. Most of us have heard of them. Maybe some of you have been involved in them in some way or another. You've been affected by it. Or someone you love has. And so w- w- what has happened is that there is an entire movement of people out there that, are, that they call themselves things like this, recovering fundamentalists. And I mean, they have a platform. Whether it's on social media or podcasts or even uh, sometimes on, on you know, a, a larger stage. And the whole concept and the whole philosophy is we can point to some and maybe in some cases many problems and errors that have happened in a certain particular group of people that happen to fellowship with a group of other particular people. And therefore, because we see some flaws, our response is we are going to scrap the whole thing and start over. And what do we hear? We hear terms like this, deconstruction. I'm deconstructing my faith. You ever heard that before? Can I tell you that that is not the biblical approach to error? Deconstructing and totally removing or canceling individuals, churches, and certainly entire groups of Christians because of the sin ...and failure of certain individuals... ...is actually, I believe, an error... ...that Satan is working to destroy. It would be like this. It would be like the Jews of Jesus' day... ...after His death and resurrection... ...deciding that they were not going to be followers of Christ... ...because one of His twelve was a total fraud. After all, Judas himself decided in the end that Jesus wasn't worth following, and he, who everyone else thought was real, he was a total hypocrite, but he himself sided with the Jews against Jesus, so this this whole thing must have been a big ruse. Now, we can look back on that and say, well, I mean, that would be foolish to judge Jesus and all of his followers by one man. But do you see how this begins to happen sometimes even in churches, where one particular preacher or one particular church does some things that are contrary, by the way, to the word of God And the response by other people is to take those things and use them as an excuse to totally scrap all of it. In other words, if this preacher who claims to believe the Bible could do all of those things, the conclusion is, how do I even know that the Bible is true? Do you see how flawed that thinking can be? After all, that preacher didn't write the Bible. And what he did was in error, it was in violation of the scripture. And so I want to just ask you tonight, basically, what, what should a Christian do when we see, when we recognize error, doctrinal error, when we recognize sin, abuse, scandal, what should we do? Well, I want to, first of all, look at the positive side of this. And I want to show you this group of people that we know as these Berean Jews. And I want to look at what they did and how they dealt, not necessarily responding to a problem, but how they approached truth to begin with. And I believe that there is something that we can learn from this. First of all, I want you to see that there was an examination. Paul and Silas now have come to Berea. And they enter into the synagogue of the Jews to preach the gospel to them. And in verse number seven, or verse number eleven, rather, the Bible says here, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So initially, there was an examination of truth. This is very important. Because some people, I think, have the idea that God's expectation is blind loyalty and fellowship, And that is not the case. God does not tell you to check your brain at the doors of the church house and just absorb everything that the preacher or the Sunday school teacher says and believe it because, well, that's what the man of God said, therefore it must be truth. And anyone who teaches that is in error, because the Bible actually teaches just the opposite. These were noble Christians because they took the truth that they had been taught, and they compared it against the Scriptures. They searched the Scriptures to see whether those things were so. God does not want you to just be a a, a follower who never takes the time to... Think critically and ask yourself, is that true? Is that right according to the Bible? God doesn't want you to do that, and I don't want you to do that. Now, I will be honest with you. I don't like it when you disagree with me. And if you come to me and you say, hey, you preach this, but I think you're wrong, I'm probably going to be offended, but I still want you to do it. You know why? Because you cannot place, what do we talk about this morning in Sunday school? Putting our confidence in man as opposed to God. Don't put your trust in man. Don't put your trust in me. Now, don't get me wrong. the, The Bible teaches us that we ought to follow godly authority, church members ought to follow their pastor. They should honor him and respect him and follow his leadership, but that does not mean that whatever he says, they have to fall in line and say, yes, sir, and never question and never consider whether it's true. In fact, the Bible tells us, and I'll quote a couple of verses to you and we'll go to them in just a little while. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21, prove all things. What does that mean? It means literally to put to the test all things. In First John, the Bible says, brethren, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God. In other words, don't just blindly listen to anyone who claims to be a Christian or a believer in Christ or a, or, or a biblical preacher. You need to put these things to the test, and the test is, does it, does it jive with the word of God? Is it in line with the Scripture? Is it coming from the Scripture itself? And if not, you're not expected to hold to those things. Put it to the test. There is a legitimate examination that needs to take place. How, how, how many times have you read in the New Testament warnings against false teachers and false prophets that are going to abound in the last days? What are those warnings for? They're there to tell you, don't just buy into everything you hear. Christian friend, you need to know this book. You need to read it. You need to study it. You need to believe it and stand on what it says. Now, here's what I will tell you. Study the book. Don't go to YouTube And look for someone else. Listen, you can get into all kinds of crazy things. I've seen more Christians in recent years getting caught up in all kinds of strange doctrines because of things that they've started watching and listening to online. Don't get your doctrine from the internet. Put your nose in the book. Study the Word of God. Ask questions of people that you trust. But take, what the, take their input with a grain of salt and, and, and know the Lord. Seek the Lord and seek His truth from His word. But there is an examination. It is not wrong to question truth. What is, what is, what is truth? Is that true? However, I want you to notice that this examination was not done with a critical spirit. Because it specifically says in verse number 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. In other words, they came with an open mind and an open heart and they said, would you please teach me from the word of God? They didn't come. Listen, there was a time, I don't want to go into detail, there was a time that we were dealing with some issues in church that I was pastoring. There were some people that were crossways. And all of a sudden, what I noticed is these people who never took notes during the preaching would sit there with a notepad and write. They weren't taking notes like, hey, I want to learn something today. It really had that feeling like the Pharisees that were looking to catch Jesus in His words, you know. They were looking at everything under a microscope. What can I find? And man, there were times that I had people tell me, you're, you're wrong because I said something that just maybe came out in a way that it could be twisted just a little bit to say something that I hadn't intended. And if you'd listen to the context of what I was saying, it was clear and obvious that was not what was intended, even close. But everything was scrutinized and every, every little detail. Why? There was a critical spirit there God doesn't want you to have a critical spirit. But He does want you to have discerning character. And that discernment comes from having a walk with God and studying the Word of God. And and you ought to come to the house of the Lord with a totally open heart and open mind. With a heart that says, Lord, would you use your man or your men to teach me and help me to grow. And then take what you have received and throughout the rest of the week get in the Bible, and see whether those things are so. Now, there was an examination. But I want to show you this. If you go over with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. There is a time for rejection of error. Now, in Acts 17, they received the truth... Because it was being preached by Paul and Silas who were preaching truth. And it was good for them. And so ultimately they put those things to the test and they received it because it was right. But I want you to notice this phrase in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 9. Look what it says here. Let love be without dissimulation. Notice these words. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Abhor that which is evil. A person who loves the truth... ...must, by definition, hate error. If we love the truth, we ought to hate lying... If we love the truth, we should hate doctrinal error. If we love the truth, we should hate sin. If we believe, as the Bible teaches, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, and we say that we love God, then we ought to love light that reveals truth, not darkness that hides and covers up. And folks, there is a time... I mean, any time that you are presented with error, you should reject that error in itself. But overall, there, there is a time that we have to actually reject not just the error itself, but those who are proclaiming error. For instance, in the book of Galatians, Paul said... If any man, and he even said an angel from heaven, if an angel from heaven or myself preaches to you any other gospel than that you have received, let him be accursed. There are certain areas where we draw a line, and there is no coming back from that. And let me tell you this, that if if someone preaches a false gospel that is contrary to the gospel of Christ, found in the pages of Scripture, that person is to be a curse. And we are to treat them as such. We do not have fellowship with people who preach a false gospel. This is one reason... uh, Let me just give you an example. This is one reason that I am not part of a ministerial alliance. I cannot in good conscience before my God, link arms with a Catholic priest, even to support a good cause, like feeding the poor, or or standing up for the right to life and against abortion, I can't do that. Why? Because they don't preach the gospel of Christ. Their gospel is one of works. Do good and God will accept you. Be baptized in our church and God will accept you. Confess your sins to a man and God will accept you. Partake of communion. Be confirmed. Do all these things and God will accept you. That is not the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And when you distort that, I can't have fellowship with you. That does not mean that I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't care for you and pray for you. But I can't have fellowship. If anyone preaches a a false gospel, another Jesus. 1 John tells us that if anyone denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. In other words, he's denying the Son of God He's denying that Jesus is the Son of God manifested in the flesh. If anyone denies that, they they are the spirit of antichrist. We don't have fellowship with antichrists. I mean, there are certain areas that we just have to draw the line and say, this is just wrong. I can't be part of that. I can't have anything to do with that. But you know, there are other times and there are other areas where people may have flaws and problems and even areas that we would disagree with them that does not make them my enemy. Good brethren can disagree about some things. Paul and Barnabas disagreed about some things. To the point where there was contention. Sharp contention between them. They parted ways. But they were still brethren. They still respected each other. They still loved each other. Others may not dot every I and cross every T just like I do. And honestly, there are brethren that I can look at them and I can say I believe that this is error. And even... There is some sin there. And boy, they really messed up here. But that in itself does not necessarily mean that they are now canceled. Think about it. If we assume that we're going to judge someone by their worst failure... And and thereby, everything that they touch is tainted by their failure. If we believe that, and we're going to say we reject them because of this flaw, because of this error, we would have to reject David, who committed adultery and murder, by the way. Now, let me be clear. David was a man after God's own heart, but he, he really messed up. We don't ignore his failure. But we do recognize the grace of God in his life, do we not? We would have to reject Moses who was a murderer. He, he killed that Egyptian. We would have to reject Abraham because he took Hagar, his wife's handmaid, to have a child with her because his wife couldn't conceive. Oh, don't forget that he also lied about his wife being his sister twice. So did his son Isaac. We'd have to reject Peter because he denied Christ, and he said some things that were really off the wall. I bet Peter is thankful he didn't live in a time of sound bites. I'm just saying that if we if we really take the, the way that we judge people in our day, if we apply that same concept to Our heroes of the faith in the scriptures, there's not a one of them other than Jesus that we could say, there's a man that we respect and and follow. Not one. Why? Because the best of men are men at best. And everyone is a sinner. Now, listen to me. Again, this is not a justification for wrongdoing. And I believe sin and error needs to be brought to light and it needs to be called out. And there are times that we even have to break fellowship with people because of certain issues. But I want you to know this, that that the approach is not, let's scrap the whole thing, throw the baby out with the bathwater, and start over. And this is what has happened in so many of these people's lives where they have had this certain image or they were raised in a certain way within a church that they just believe that that the man of God was, was infallible And the church was perfect. And when some of that curtain started to be pulled back and they started to see some of the warts that were there, their response, their their confidence was, was totally shaken. And the only thing they knew to do was to just start over. Throw it out. And point out all of the problems... You do not have to go very far into the, to use a term from George W. Bush, the internets, to find people who are willing to talk about independent Baptists. And all of the problems, some of them are legitimate. Here's my question for those people. Are you as passionate for truth as you are against error? Think about that. Some of these, and I'm not trying to just be on a hobby horse here, but some of the podcasts that are out there, of these recovering fundamentalists, people who claim to be Christians, but their whole... Ministry, business, I don't know what it is. Their whole platform is all about how bad those Christians are pointing the finger at churches oftentimes like ours. And then they will bring in atheists and followers of false religions to talk about this issue. And it really goes back, in my estimation, to what Jesus spoke about Straining at a nap to swallow a camel, you know? Because the problem is, they've grabbed on to this first part of Romans 12. They've learned to abhor that which is evil. They've found something that they hate. But they forgot the second part of that admonition, which is this, cleave to that which is good. Cleave to that which is good. I quoted to you earlier 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Here's what it says. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. This is the problem with a deconstruction mentality. I found a problem. Now i got to start over. Square one, what is truth? Can we believe the Bible? And people get off on all these crazy things if they would rather approach it from this standpoint, I'm going to reject evil and error, but I'm going to hold on to that which is good. You know what you would find? A lot of these people could actually start finding some good even in the midst of flawed churches and pastors. Now, I'm not saying, in fact, many of the churches that get exemplified as, you know, here's, here's one that's a perfect example of all of the problems of fundamentalism. I'm not saying that I would recommend go and join yourself to that church. That's, that's not at all what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. If you were mistreated... By a pastor, but you are also saved under his ministry, it is possible to abhor that which is evil, but to cleave to that which is good. In other words, to look at it and say, this is error, this was sin, it needs to be exposed and dealt with. But I'm still thankful for how God used this in my life. Why would I say that? Well, because here in reality, there is no such thing as a perfect church or a perfect pastor or a perfect Christian or a perfect organization or movement. It doesn't exist. We live in a flawed world. That is not justification for wrongs that have been done. Let me say it again. If wrong has been done, it needs to be dealt with. And I think it's a tragedy when things get swept under the rug and not dealt with and hidden for the sake of the testimony of Christ. Listen, friend. Christ does not need our help And he never asked us to cover up sin for the name of the Lord. The Bible says, he that covereth the sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. I am against that. I believe that sin needs to be dealt with. But I also believe that wise and discerning Christians need to be just as passionate about re. Receiving and cleaving to truth as they would be about abhorring and rejecting evil. Think of how much good could be done if all of the effort that is put into complaining and bitterness was at least equally matched by praise and thanksgiving for how God has done good things. Because here's the thing, in the midst of a world that is... Tainted by our sin. God is still good. God is still good to use flawed men and women like me and like you for His glory. And we ought to be just as thankful for that as we are grieved by error and sin and failure. And so tonight, I just want to encourage you to really consider this maybe as we approach this issue of how cancel culture has made its way into our churches. To be, let me just encourage you, be diligent for truth. While showing love and grace and compassion on sinners. I'm thankful that God Is a God of truth and right. He's a just judge. And he's also merciful and gracious. Slow to anger, quick to forgive. And I think we ought to be like him.